All right, let's try this again. Thank you. No, you're good. You're good. All right, chapter six, um, a water exodus, pages 24 through 31. Um, I liked I liked this chapter. I, I like the just what kind of walking through and remembering the the Old Testament history, and then making the connections and see you know what God is doing there, um, and how it kind of pertains. Um, to, to baptism and, and really to, to New Testament Christian life. Um, take a look at the map and recall how God left Israel no choice but to trust in God's deliverance. You can look it up there in Exodus chapter 14. Um, so just as, uh, right, you've, you've kind of got the, um, the Red Sea, Right up here, um, Red Sea, Mediterranean. I don't need the D. Mediterranean Sea. Um, here we've kind of got the the Delta Nile, right? So we've got the Nile River running running down there, um, and then Israel is sort of up here a little ways, right? Kind of off the corner. Um, you, you see on the map there, that upper right-hand corner, that would be the Sea of Galilee is that little circle in the upper right-hand corner. The Jordan River, the Jordan River runs down that. The bigger body of water there is what? What, what is the, the Dead Sea, right? Um, so Jerusalem, you see there, just kind of the northwest of the, the Dead Sea. Um, so remind me, how is it, again, that God left them with really no choices? So here is sort of where um, uh, Israel is, okay? Um, so here is Egypt, right? So obviously, what direction can't they go? They can't go west, right? Because this is obviously where they've just come from, okay? Um, why can't they go south? Yeah, it's, it's the complete opposite direction and the terrain, right? The, the, the deeper and further you get, I mean, the would have been even more treacherous. So they can't go south. They can't go west. Why couldn't they go north? Do you remember what was here? What powerful... Uh, army and nation kind of occupied this this territory on the southern edge of the the Great Sea. Good guess. The other one, the Philistines. Right. This was the way of the Philistines. They they couldn't go north because they would have run into them. So here they are. Can't go south. Can't go west. Can't go north. Can't go east because. There's a giant body of water there, right? Um, God left them no choice. This was not an accident, um, but this was God deliberately leading them into a place, into a position where they had no other choice but to trust the Lord for deliverance. My question is, can you think of a time in your life when maybe God put you in a similar situation? I mentioned in my, my uh, sermon last Sunday that I'm reading this book on uh, grief and on suffering. 
and uh, there, there's a gentleman there that kind of shared a quote with the author, um, and it is something that uh, I spoke a lot over the past 10, 11 months. And that is, he said, um, you don't know that Jesus is really all you need until Jesus is really all you have. And we say this, right? All I need is Jesus, right? But, but it's probably very rare in your life when he's really all you have. When you've tried everything else, you've leaned on everyone else, including your own abilities and your own strength and all of that crumbles and and you've you go this way but you can't you went that way but you failed you went this way and you whatever and there you stand and you say well lord here is where i know i need to go but there's this giant problem in front of me um, and you're the only one who can get me through it And again, I would say, just as this was not a mistake, that, that all of a sudden the Israelites, you know, God said, I'm going to take you into the promised land. Then all of a sudden he's like, oh man, I should have read the directions first. Now they're stuck and I have no idea how I'm going to get them there. No. The Lord deliberately put them in a place to teach them to trust him. They had no other options, Right? And you remember what their initial reaction was when they got to the shores of the, the Red Sea? What did they say? Hot diggity, to, uh, hot diggity dog, it's time for God to work a miracle. No. We should just go back to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Why, Lord, did you bring us out here for us to die in the desert? Back here, yeah, we were slaves. It was a miserable life. But at least we had a couple square meals a day. And, you know, we had our own homes. Um, it's sort of like, uh, any, you know, you, you got those movies, right, that, um, that whenever they're on TV, you just get pulled in. You have those movies, right? One of mine is Shawshank Redemption. Even though it's like eight hours long, I'm like, I got to sit and watch it. And then it's never just on once. It's always on like back to back to back, which covers basically like half a day. So, like, it doesn't matter if I'm, like, if I catch it in the middle, well, then I'll watch the second half, and then I'll hang around, and I'll watch the first half just to get it all. Because, like, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and remember that, that part with, um, where they talk about being institutionalized, yeah. right? Um, where, where you have criminals who are imprisoned for the better part of their lives where they don't know how to exist and live outside of the prison walls. And so some of them will take their own life, because they don't know how to cope, or others will commit a crime just so that they get brought back. Um, this, this is what Israel is, is, is thinking. It was better when we were back in prison. We had a better life when we were in prison. Can we just go back to prison, please, Lord? It was a nice sentiment and all. Um, promised land, milk and honey, freedom, all that sounds great. Um, you know, prison sounds better than death. And that's what we're staring down. And yet, of course, we know, right? The Lord sees them through. Um, 
And so I just, I, I like kind of visualizing that, right? Um, I think maybe sometimes we think the miracles that happen, well, the Lord is just kind of like winging it, you know? Um, and he did this thing to impress people. It's like, no, the, the Lord put them in this position where they had no other choice but to trust him. And on the one hand, that's a scary place to be. It is. Um, but I would say that it is here when faith is tested um, that faith grows the best. Yeah. People in war, yeah, faced with that. Sure. Yeah. 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 Well, I've talked with uh, Adam about that. You know, it, it's not something they would ever publicize, especially now. But how much the the military values soldiers with religious convictions. Um, yeah, that, that's still a thing, right? So, yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, okay, anything else on that? I, I, I wasn't going to you know, make anybody share, but just good to think through your life, right? I'm sure you've had a moment like that. Maybe you didn't even realize it at the time. Um, but suffering is one of those ways that the Lord, in only his wisdom, can shake this out, is one of those ways that he actually draws us closer to himself. That he actually strengthens our faith in him. Um, and here we have the first of many examples with Israel, right, in the wilderness. Um, <clears throat> number six, list the various things God used water to accomplish for Israel's exodus. Noting how God still uses the water of baptism to do the same for us. What, what, are, what are some notable water stories in the Exodus? Here's the first one, right? We've got the parting of the Red Sea, right? Um, and St. Paul will actually talk about that um, in, in the book of... Why do I never remember this? Is it 1 Corinthians 10 or Romans 10? Um, where, where the Apostle Paul talks about how, I think it's 1 Corinthians 10. Everything that Israel went through, they did to serve as an example for us. Right? Um, and, and, and what is that uh, example? Well, part of it, St. Paul says, is Israel was bapped into Moses as they walked through the, the Red Sea. Right? Not only was their trust growing in the Lord as they watched this miracle, but their trust, at least momentarily, right, on that particular day, was, was growing in the representative and the servant that the Lord had put in front of them. The guy who was holding up his hands, right? Wouldn't be the last time he did that either, right? To do something amazing um, for the Lord to accomplish. All right, what else? Other, other amazing water stories? Water from a rock, yeah. Happened a couple times. Right? Um, the Lord uh, pouring out water from a place where water has no business pouring out from. Right? To simply remind them that he was providing for them and caring for them. 
Um, how, how do these, these pictures of God using water, how do they also then kind of serve as foreshadowing pictures for us when it comes to baptism? Let's do the Red Sea. So what is God using water to do? Before that happens, before he uses it to kill the Egyptians, what does he do? He uses water to deliver his people from their enemy. Right? Do we see this in baptism? Yeah, right? Um, I've got it in the next lesson. We're going to kind of make that um, as we look at their, Israel's entrance into the promised land. Um, God is using water to deliver them from their enemies. He could have just as easily had them, you know, give them superhuman speed to outrun the chariots. Could have done that. He uses water, right? Has them walk through water. And again, Paul, Paul makes that point clear, right? This is all a picture of baptism, Paul says. Um, then, after Israel has, he's used water to deliver Israel, then what does he use water to do? To drown the enemies. Does God do this in baptism? Yes, right? Um, Paul talks about this in, in Romans 6, right? Um, how we're, we're, we're buried, our sin, death, it's all buried uh, with Jesus in baptism, right? Um, our sinful natures are drowned in baptism, right? So we've got that picture there. How, how about the, the water from a rock? Maybe that one's a little more challenging. Kept them alive, okay. When, when Paul will talk about this later, he, he talks about the Israelites drinking water from a rock. And then Paul goes on to say, and that rock was what? You remember? They drank from the spiritual rock who was Christ. So here we have this picture of water flowing from Christ. And it being the water that sustains them, that nourishes them. What, what other story in the New Testament does that make you think of? Jesus saying, come to me for water. The water that never runs out. And who is he sharing this wonderful, amazing water with? Do you remember? The lady at the well, lady at the well right? Um, if you knew who you were asking for a cup of water, you would have asked me for living water, right? And I would have given you water um, that, that wells up to eternal life. Um, for out of me, right, is this, this ever-flowing spring of water. Um, and so Jesus, who is the water of life, Right? He is the rock who sustains Israel. And now, this picture of water is this everlasting welling up, this grace of Jesus that is promised to us in baptism, that Jesus is yours and you are his. Um, and this water will never run out. This water will never run dry. Um, there, there's water pouring from a rock. Well, um, the, the Lord could have made that go all day because water is not supposed to flow out of a rock. Um, but, but, but this is the picture of how God sustains his people, right? Okay. Um, that was kind of a challenging one, and it wasn't a very good question, but I appreciate you guys walking with me through it. Um, hopefully that was helpful.
The cloud, yeah, that, that leads them, yeah, the pillar of cloud during the day, yeah, okay. Number seven, freedom isn't free. What does it almost always cost? Pastor Berg makes a point of this a couple times. Death, Death right? It, it almost always costs blood, right? It costs the life of someone or something, and we see this throughout the Old Testament, right? Um, and how did the Passover and the Exodus remind the Israelites of this cost? Yeah. Um, not only did they kill the lamb, but, but kind of walk me through what did that whole scene look like? Yeah. And I, I think one of the, the hardest things, um, I never really realized this, um, they had to take this lamb and they had to bring it into their home for like, like four days. Um, can you imagine what your kids would do if you brought a baby, little, tiny, one-year-old lamb into your home for four days and then said, oh, hey, by the way, come out back with me and help me slit its throat. Um, I, I've, I've said this numerous times. I'm so grateful. I, I'm grateful that I'm a New Testament pastor and not an Old Testament priest. I don't think I could kill animals like that. I love eating them. I will never be a vegetarian, but if I, if I had to kill my own meat, I would be a vegetarian. Um, I just can't do it. I can't. Um, uh, step on a spider, that's about, that's about as much guts as I have. Um, and that's only because my wife is screaming, um, and I want to feel, feel macho. Um, but, but think of how vivid that picture was. That in order for the the judgment of death to pass over your home, someone has to die. And there would have been nothing cuter and more innocent of death in your home than that little lamb. And yet it's the one who died so that you could be spared. Think of that picture, right? And then to take that blood and to cover the, the door frames of your home. And what an amazing thing to think about then when you run across like a verse in the Psalms. Um, Psalm 121, which is one of my favorite. The Lord bless your coming and going both now and forevermore. And where do you come and go from your house? The front door, right? To, to picture, I'm not telling anybody to do this, but to picture blood marking your doorframe and not just the blood of an innocent animal, but the blood of Jesus, the Son of God in the flesh. He marks and covers your coming and going everywhere you go. How does that change your day? How does that change your morning? Right? When you walk through those doors, and Jesus has already covered my day with his blood. I'm free from guilt. I'm a child of God. Heaven is my home. How does that change your day? Um, so the, the vivid picture 
Yes, God is going to work countless miracles to accomplish this freedom. And though it would be free to Israel, it would not be free to God. Right? It would not be free from death. Um, how does baptism continue but once again supersede this picture? What happens at baptism? Who dies? You do. But also you don't. Because you are, are reborn, you're given a new life, right? It, it, it isn't this kind of thing where like the, the, the pagan gods of, of the Old Testament, um, where you, you, had, you want to appease the gods, you bring your kid, you set them up on that altar, and you sacrifice your child. And maybe, just maybe, that'll appease the gods. We bring our children so that they die. But they die not for us. They die to themselves. They die to their sinful nature. They die to their belonging to the devil. They die to the sentence and judgment of hell. All of that dies. Right? Um, and it's all because of the very real death and blood and sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. Okay. Um, all right. Um, any other questions or thoughts on the, the water exodus? Okay, let's get into seven then. Uh, the wilderness journey. <laughs> I like this line um, Pastor Berg had. We can't handle freedom. <laughs> Examples of how both Israel and we prove this to be true. You can do either one. How, how, how do we prove, how did Israel prove they, they, we cannot handle freedom? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Right? The, 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 they're given freedom, but it doesn't feel like it. It's not the kind of freedom they wanted. Um, and, you know, how many times do they bring up, it was better for us when we were back in prison? Um, couldn't handle it, right? Um, not only do they, they, they grumble against God, but they, they grumble against Moses, right? They want to get rid of him as their leader. They want to establish their own government, um, they want God to leave them alone. Um, how do we show we don't handle freedom well? Yeah, right? We, we, we are free in Christ, and how do we use that freedom? Well, in the exact opposite way that St. Paul tells us to, right? Romans chapter 6, Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Right? Is this how we use our freedom? It, it, it's, it's the picture again of you're freed from the jail, from the prison of sin, death, and the devil. Jesus, Jesus walks you out of it through his life, death, and resurrection. And then what do we do? We want to go running back into jail because I, I can do what I want. And I think that when I get to do what I want, we think that's freedom. 
Where is that maybe the hardest lesson to learn in our lives? At what age? Teenager, right? You remember that, right? Got, got the car keys for the first time. Freedom. What does that freedom come with? <laughs> Insurance, <laughs> gas, um, if you're me, a handful of tickets before you turn 17, um, right? You know what? How many of you were tempted to go, what, just take the keys back? I can't handle this freedom, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, losing your friends or, yeah. Um, I, 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 was, I was blessed with the, uh, the family minivan, the 88 Ford Aerostar minivan. And, you know, while it looked, I mean, it rusted through the floor, you know, kind of thing. But I could fit about 15 guys in that thing, um, which seemed like a great idea until, until you started going. Um, we can't handle freedom, right? Um, and, and, of course, the irony of that is, right, we're, we're so prone to think freedom is I get to say and do what I want. But it, it's, it's that reminder as we grow in Christian maturity to say that, no, true freedom is to live and do and say what God has created me to do and be and say. Right? It's the, it's the picture. I've probably used this one a lot, but it's the picture of, you know, the little kid comes home with a goldfish and puts it in the little goldfish jar and watches it swim around, and then it gets the great idea that the fish is bored and, and, and limited by being in the fishbowl. So if I take the fish out and I put it on my counter, it can go and do whatever it wants. Right? No, it, it's created to be in this context, in this setting, and to take it out of that while it looks like freedom, is death. That's the irony, right? Um, you and I are, are created to be children of God. We're created in the image of God. We're created to be the people He has made us to be, to think the things He wants us to think, to say the things He tells us to say. And when we do those things, so many people will look at it and say, well, Christianity, that just looks like a, a religion of slavery. No fun, no joy, all rules... And it's like, you don't know the freedom of the gospel, the freedom of living in Christ, the freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from guilt, freedom from the, th the threat of hell. Um, the freedom to actually long for and look for the end of your life, whenever it comes. Um, I, I always, uh, when we get to... Uh, in catechism class with the kids and we start talking about things like death and judgment day and heaven, I always say, my goal is always to get the kids to kind of go, I'm worried about pastor a little bit because that guy is really, really looking forward to death. Um, I don't want them to think I'm suicidal, obviously, but I want them to see true and genuine joy for the day that is coming when I get to be with Jesus. Um, and, you know, that's one of those things. Um, Trinza, I don't know how many of you got to meet her. Um, I, I don't know that I have ever met another Christian who was more genuinely looking forward to going home to heaven. 
every time. How are you doing? Just waiting to go home, Pastor. Just excited to see Jesus as she sits there with her, her body, body just wrought with cancer. Um, you know, no hair, probably 100 pounds lighter, you know, than she was two years ago. And just to see this joy and this genuine smile of, I'm so excited. That ain't natural, right? That is spirit given. That is faith. That is, I got nowhere else to go and nothing else to hope in but Jesus, and I'm so more than good with it. Um, so, yeah, uh, freedom. It's, it's kind of a, it's an interesting thing, right? To be able to handle freedom is, is something I think Israel has always wrestled with, something we always wrestle with. Um, just good to remember that. Instead, um, Pastor Berg says, freedom is love. How so? And where do we see this lived out? We love God. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think those, those relationships are gr great ways to describe it, right? Um, such a, a wrestling match, I think, with young people these days because how, how has this young culture been taught to view something like marriage? Not necessary. Um, I would say maybe even worse than that. Not only is it not necessary, it's a burden. It's, it's a prison, right? Um, I, I, oh, we, we had this couple at my church back in Salt Lake City. love these people dearly. Um, uh, they, they came out of Mormonism and kind of went their own way for a while. And um, the husband had a, a tattoo on his forearm, this arm. And it was a, it was a wedding ring. He had his wedding ring tattooed. And I always thought, you know what, that's, that's one I can get behind. I like that idea, right? A um, little harder to remove that than, than a ring, unless you gain a lot of weight. Then it's impossible to take this thing off. So I, I told my wife that the other day. We're stuck because this thing ain't not coming off. Um, but he had his wedding ring tattooed around his finger, and he showed it to me. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I've actually I've always kind of liked that idea. And then he turned over his hand. Uh, or no, there was, there was like a, a chain kind of running along the back of his hand, and then he turned his forearm over, and there was a giant ball on the end of the chain. <laughs> he was a good man. He was a good man. He made an unfortunate decision with his tattoo. Um, I've known a lot of people I could say that about. Uh, myself included. However, um, but I, I think this is the, like, prison or m marriage is prison. And it's like, you don't know the freedom to love someone genuinely more than you love yourself. Um, 
and, and to know that they love you in that same way. Um, to know that I can, I can set aside my wants and my hopes and my dreams and my plans and, and put hers or his to the forefront and, and, and to know that I'm not going to be left wanting or lacking because to give to them, to do for them, to love them is what truly brings me my greatest joy. And then to be married to someone who has that same approach, you're, you're never without, right? Um, so, so true freedom is genuine love. It is to have the freedom to love, to be loved, to receive love. Um, and of course, obviously, um, we see this lived out as Christians, first and foremost from our bridegroom, right? Um, that, he, that he loves us, that he gave up his life for us, that um, we now are his bride, that we are the ones he has made and fashioned and redeemed and dressed in, in, in robes of white um, and washed clean in his blood. All of those pictures, right? Um, we see this love lived out between Christ and his bride, the church. Um, and now we live it out when we love our spouses, when we love our kids, when we love our parents. Um, true love, and I, I love this line, right, um, that Paul has, love drives out all fear. Right? I don't have to tiptoe around my wife. Well, usually I don't have to. Um, when I do loving things, right? Um, I don't have to tiptoe around my wife. Um, love drives out fear. Um, how does the Christian life mirror, number 10, the 40 years of Israel wandering in the wilderness? Okay. There was a time of wandering, right? Um, they didn't cross the Red Sea and into the Promised Land, right? They did this for a while. Um, and sometimes that's kind of what life feels like, right? <laughs> Aimlessly kind of wandering and walking around, right? Uh, Lord, how much longer? Um, Okay, what else? What, what were those 40 years of wandering filled with? Okay, right? Um, it required faith, right? Um, the lack of faith said, let's go back, right? Let's go back to Egypt. It was better back there. Faith said, we're going to hold God to his promise. Um, Correct. Yeah. Yeah, no one who made the initial uh, exit except for, well, yeah, Moses didn't get there. Joshua, right? Um, only a couple people, right? But most of them, yeah, are still there, right? Well, their bodies at least. What else? What were those 40 years filled with? Faith, wandering,
Vacation. What? Whining. Yeah. And why were they whining? Why, why do people almost always whine? They're not happy. What did you say, Ashley? Yeah, it's hard, right? What, what was this 40 years filled with? Pain, suffering, loss, snakes, um, death, right? Um, th this, this is the picture of the Christian life, right? The Lord, the Lord brings us out of slavery through water, and then says over the next 40, 50, 60, 70, three years, whatever it is, um, it's going to be hard. And your faith is going to be tested. Um, and you're going to suffer. But the Lord was always with them. And the Lord never stopped providing for them. And the Lord never stopped caring for them. The Lord never left them alone. And even when they had long stretches of, it doesn't seem like God is anywhere around, what did God tell that first generation to tell their kids? Tell them what I did here. Tell them what I did here. Um... So that in those dark moments of wandering through the painful wilderness, you are reminded of the God who keeps his promise. So what do we do with our kids as we wander around here with them? We, we tell them about this, right? We tell them about God's deliverance. We tell them about their baptism. We remind them of the promises God made to them. And we tell them, you hold your God to his promise. Yeah? Um, and he loves that. He loves that when we do that. Um, any other ways? How you see the Christian life mirror the 40 years of, of wandering? I always think one of the most fascinating things, you know, um, the the miracle that took 40 years that I think probably was really hard to picture was um, I, I've, I've hiked the Grand Canyon twice. Um, and if, if you've ever done like a, a long, week-long hike or wilderness retreat or something like that and you're doing a lot of walking and it's hot and it's rugged terrain um, what usually happens to the clothes and the shoes that you wear after you get back from that trip they go in the wash maybe if they're really important to you more than likely I got home from those hikes and I threw those shoes right in the trash because it was like, there's no salvaging these things. Um, and that's one of those miracles that, that you know, um, the tents and the clothes and the sandals that the Israelites wore, they never wore out. Um, every single day, God not only preserved his people, but he preserved them by preserving their, their stuff, their possessions, their clothing. Um, and, and again, one of those miracles where you, you don't really 
see it or realize it until you look back. And what an opportunity, I think, for us as Christians to not only do that for our children, but to also do it for each other, to do it for ourselves, right? When we get in those dark, aimless, wandering moments in our lives where it seems like we're all alone and we don't know where the Lord is in our life, to look back and say, yeah, but I remember this moment in my life when I thought it was all over and there was nowhere else to go. And I remember how bad this was and I never thought I'd get out of it. And yet 40 years later, here I am. What other explanation could there be? But by the grace of God that, that I go. Right? Um, the miracle that is happening every day that the Lord preserves you in ways. We talked about that, I think, in, in our Bible class on preservation. Um, that when you're sitting at a stoplight and it turns green and you go, the miracle that everybody going the cross section actually stops. Because that doesn't always happen. Um, that the stoplight, they both sides don't just turn green. Um, I mean, just those little things. You, you, you turn the key in your car or you push a button and something that is called a combustible engine fires up. And if you're a big fan of the gangster movies, like I am, apparently it's real easy to rig those where they just blow up. Um, maybe you saw evidence of that. I don't know. Um, but it hasn't, right? Little by little. We may not get bread from, you know, falling down from heaven, but I think it requires probably even more miracles for there to be bread on our table every night. So, I love to think about that in the context of, of the, the exodus and, and the wilderness. Any other questions or um, thoughts that you have that you think should be included in any of those lessons? Good to go? We're all right with that? All right. Um, well, next week, because I thought we'd get into this, I only did chapters 8 and 9, okay? Um, so uh, we'll do 8 and 9. We'll see how long it, it takes us. I think we've got some good stuff to discuss there, so we'll do that next week. Next week? Yeah, next week. All right. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.